Welcome to another episode of Fantastic Voyage, the David Bowie podcast. I'm Jesse. I'm John. We are bringing to you side B of Never Let Me Down. Now, stop. Don't turn it off. This album isn't that bad. I hope you listened to side A. If you didn't, I don't know what the hell you're doing listening to this one. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes I think that myself about this album. What the hell am I doing listening to side B? Um, <laughs> no, I'm not going to go that far. Uh, eh. Good. <laughs> but, but let's get into it, uh, I guess, right away. Um, it's maybe not as strong as side A, to put it lightly. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, but that's... Same could be said about scary monsters. Oh you know? yeah, no, no hard, like no yeah, harm in having know, your second side be the weaker side. It, it totally is, even like, if it's significant. This is like scary. Yeah, it's, it, yeah, well put. It's very much so. Um, yeah, uh, we got to talk about the album cover. Start, kick off side B. Um, <laughs> I don't know what the hell's going on. I don't know what they're thinking. He's Bowie is in the middle of a set. That includes a ladder. I don't know what it's made out of. Is it painted on? Is it paint? I don't know what the hell it is. There's a ladder. There's a cloud made out of hair. Well, I'm already. I'm like my brain's really there's firing a, off the yeah, element a, here. So is, is the ladder saying like, "Never let me down"? You know, ladder up high. Is it talking about the social ladder? I mean, it there's, could a lot, be. there's a lot to read into there. There's a Union Jack flag on top of uh, an old uh, cannon. There's a suitcase. Okay, now is that him talking about Margaret Thatcher's UK? Yes, definitely. It gotta uh, be. Yeah. Um, there's a ring of fire. I don't know what the hell's going on there. Um, yeah, I can't really. Too dizzy, maybe. I don't know. There's a, there's a skyscraper in the background. There's somebody with a camcorder peeking out behind a curtain filming him. There's a rope. There's like a no. It's kind of like a, in a like in a pirate ship. You know, you climb the rope. Pirate ship. I guess all old. Ships might have this. It's more fun if you think of it as a pirate ship. I don't know. Yes. He's in the middle and he's jumping. He's doing a kick and his arms are out and his hair is wild. And it's got David Bowie with like cutout lettering above it with a white background. Um, yeah. There. You don't sound too it. enthusiastic. <laughs> no, about it's, this it's not good at all. <laughs> it's terrible. I, I think it's kind of ridiculous, but I don't it's kind of cool that it's ridiculous. I don't know. I, I like. I'm guessing all the props in the photo are, pertain to songs on the record. Like the skyscraper would be New York's. Uh, There's a. I see a drum. New York's in love. There's a drum, so that's got to be beat, beat of your, your drum. drum. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's funny that's literal though, even though that's not. I've never owned this record, so you're, you're holding the LP in your hand. I'm holding the cassette in my hand, so I'm, you really got to squint to stare at the cassette cover. <laughs> well, here um, I've got I've got my glasses on, so I can look at the cassette cover. Okay. Better thank than you. Oh, there's a suitcase. I did not. I never knew there was a suitcase, suitcase on this cover yeah. until just a second ago. Is there anything to do with suitcases on this uh, album? Um, nope. <laughs> sure, there's something to do with it. I'm sure everything here is here for a reason. Um, but we clearly didn't uh, do our homework on on what on, that on, on the back cover. There's a a wing. It looks like a like an ostrich has been. Uh, mauled and the remains of its wing are on the ground. I don't know what the hell that means. Yeah, I I, I want to be there. Uh, that's I, I guess uh, behind the red. There's a big red curtain, kind of Lynchian. I don't know. Um, 
It, yeah, I, it's not it, it's not great in, in my view. It's not going to make our, my top ten album. And covers. I guess he's jumping, and if he lands, he'll be down on the ground, and underneath him, it says "Never Let Me Down." It does. Yeah, it says it very small. Actually, that's funny. You can't even. It's hardly legible on this on the album the cassette version <laughs> anyway oh gosh yeah who who put it together you looked it up the guy that did tonight he, he did the last few covers he uh what was his I name wanna... mick haggerty mick he haggerty. also did uh let's dance in tonight so this is his uh his hat trick his third record cover that he did with bowie it says uh haggerty was responsible for the sleeve sleeve design in the elaborate set and that greg gorman's the photographer okay if you care about that the, the uh, set is is kind of neat um I don't have as big a problem with the the picture as I do maybe with the big white background and the way that David Bowie is spelled out. It doesn't... Well, the the 2018 cover looks cooler, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it black does. And he, yeah. He, he's standing next to the Ring of Fire. Yeah, or in it. It's even. got a bit yeah. more of a darker edge to it, I yeah, guess. I definitely... I, I picture that more when I picture this album cover now because it's better. Mm-hmm. More focus on the set, less focus on David Bowie and cr- a crazy font. Like and clip part, kind of a ridiculous jumping pose that he's doing too. He's... <laughs> yeah, he looked. Yeah, there's there's outtakes from the photo shoot. He looks really cool. He's got glasses on in one of them. And it, it's just something that fascinates me with Bowie too. Is every album cover is completely different. Uh, he looks way different always on, on yeah. every cover. And now he's got a different hairstyle, different outfit. His hair looks kind of like you know he had that really old school slick back kind of style going on Pompadour. What, what, the, yeah the, he had that going on but here it looks like it's like combed out or something like it's not styled so it's just more wacky and it's or maybe that's just because he's flying in the air i'm not sure but too dizzy he looks yeah th- that should have been the, the name too dizzy <laughs> that definitely suits the album cover more yeah yeah, but yeah no, no, I, I, like it's not, doesn't doesn't make you want to grab it like tonight makes me want to grab it more than i probably should because it's tonight as a great cover this doesn't but this album's better than tonight so yeah don't judge a book by its <laughs> don't cover. you're right yeah first song on side b is glass spider uh bowie was sitting around watching a black widow documentary and he was fascinated by the fact that they lay their the corpses of their prey around the the web uh, and then he started writing a song about it that's that's cool that that's that's just it's macabre that's really neat um yeah uh, a really good song too um it's you know okay so he starts with this big spoken word story and it kind of takes a while for it to to kick in there's some ambient noises and stuff um and then it eventually, so I learned a new term. Ostinato is when a groove just kind of repeats throughout. I didn't notice that until the 2018 version. It it really roars. It, it's awesome. Oh, yeah. I love let's, the let's, yeah, let's, love the 2018 let's get that out of the way. Of the it's, it's just awesome. Um, I did, when I did the outro for this, I was thinking with that one in mind. Um, really good forever oh it's great i could listen to that for 20 minutes yeah um yeah so he talks about you know the uh basically the children of this mother spider are being abandoned by the mother as all animals 
are eventually. Um, it kind of, you know, what it reminds me of is uh, Aldous Huxley, uh, Brave New World. Um, in that, basically, minor spoiler alert for that novel. It's uh, genetic modification to humans so that they mature faster. Like humans mature at a very slow rate compared to other mammals. Uh, or other animals, like any other animal. Like, if you think about it, like, it takes, like, how many years to, for us to become mature? Like, how long until we're pubescent, even? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you're not fully mature until your adulthood, really. Um, but at least, let's just even talk, like, until you're pubescent. Like, it's in the teens, right? Mm-hmm. Um, name me another animal that takes that long to... <laughs> to, to, to laugh. anyway that that's the pro- e- even with their lifespans oh it's yeah still the on, on the percentage scale yeah. it's still pretty yeah pretty and you late. think about modern medicine stretching our life span or not like you know other animals their lifespans could be stretched out by that too but they're not so you you can shrink that even further anyway they genetically modify humans to adapt fa- or to mature faster mm-hmm. I, anyway i i think about that one with this song in terms of the you know, the, the meaning behind it, I guess. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know. He, he paints kind of a cool picture. It's kind of future legendy where he starts it off, you know, no, the totally. side of an album with this kind of dark story. I guess the big difference is that a lot of people have an issue with the intro is it probably because he sounds like a little too Jarethy during mm. the intro. <laughs> Whereas yeah, on, on Diamond Dogs, he's a little more scary and and the way he kind of cooler and the way he picks it up like kind of mid sentence on Diamond Dogs and he starts does it start with and and in the <laughs> yeah. yeah anytime you start an album off with and, and. it's like you're you're joining the conversation well, he's yeah, been thinking about this long before you entered the li- you're not joining yeah. at the start you're you're joining in the middle yeah um, which I yeah I'm a I'm a big fan of that on on Diamond Dogs. But here's my, yeah, I, but like, I mentioned on the last one, Diamond Dog's similarities. This is definitely another one. Well, and, you know, at the very least, maybe you think the intro to this song is ridiculous, but at least, at the very least, he's got ambition back on his side. And for David Bowie, that's usually a good thing, I would say. And he, yeah, oh, look, totally. He lacked ambition on Tonight, and, right? Yeah, like, that's I, a common critique of that record. I would argue it's not ridiculous. It's, um, yeah, it's definitely different. But it's yeah, it's it's yeah. If, if you knock it for for that, then you don't like Future Legend either. Which you're crazy if you don't like Future Legend, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> um, yeah. And then the the groove is great. It just sits in. I don't know, a G or something. I'm thinking the 2018 version. It's like it's more distortion. It's darker. The drums are heavier. Well, there's something else that's paired with that bass line on the original, right? Where it, it kind of is... There, it's, it's like in a synth, unison. probably. Yeah. But that, I feel like that's kind of either buried or probably gotten rid of entirely. In the 2018 version, you just yeah. really, really get drawn in by the yeah. the hypnotic bass line. And I, uh, I've i had that in my head all week. Just yeah. that glass... The, the, the 2018 version of Glass Spider, that bass line. It's been in my head all week. Can't get it out. Opened up... Uh, every show on the Glass Spider tour with it uh, designed a tour around this <laughs> this whole idea the big spider that what did he say eventually they just threw it in a field and burned it at the end they he set said it was to, like a big relief yeah, yeah <laughs> to be done with it well that tour really took its toll on him as our next episode will I'm sure talk about that yep side B starts off with yet another solid 
song. We've yet to come up to a clunker. What I always like to me, this song, at least my interpretation of it, is he talks, you know, about glass spider and like the the spiders. Like having to survive without their mom but i always thought that was like a metaphor for like humans also like this is about people that aren't going to be able to rely on their parents yeah all the time oh yeah yeah that's um you know mummy come back because the water's all gone and you know and that's interesting too because it's he's very beatly on this song also in his vocal delivery not the beatles would never make a song about this but <laughs> like, at least in the it, it just it, his vocal stylings but uh you know, mommy, come back, cause the water's all gone. You know, that's John Lennon again specifically. But even in the way that he does the, and the next time around, or at the end of the course, he'll go, cause the water's all gone. Yeah, you know, oh, he adds totally, that. John. Yeah, that's a he does that all the time. Yeah, I mean, totally. I, it won't be long. He does that. Mm-hmm. It won't be long after doing yeah. it differently earlier, or. Yeah, uh, it's that flutter in his voice or something. He'll yeah. add a flutter, usually a more high-pitched flutter. Um, Sometimes lower, like in This Boy, underneath, he does it. You may want you to. It's great. And yeah. your bird can sing at the end, the last verse. The, you tell me that you heard every sound. <laughs> so, yeah, he's definitely doing a... And once yeah. again, I don't want to act like John Lennon speci- like has a monopoly on this type of thing, but it just the the way that he sing- it's totally his vocal inflections. Like he's definitely sounds like him on this album more than I've ever really noticed before. I can do without the ja 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 ja. Well, you know, it's funny because my notes I have it. The melody, of the chorus, I think is good, but the ja 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 sucks. I actually, you know, it annoyed me at first, but I it. it it wound up growing on me. I think it's just yeah. when I heard the 2018 version. It's just, yeah, I it's just, superior. It's, yeah. it, that, it just didn't annoy me anymore. There was too much maybe other cool shit going on that made it blend better. I don't know what it was, but eventually, I, maybe it was just because I had let the stench wear off when I was at, yeah. oh, this album sucks, and he's going, ja, ja, ja. It's, I kind of was just agreeing with everybody. Well, but then eventually I kind of went, that's Okay, here's here, here's the thing. I say I can do without it, but what, what do I sing to myself all day? So no, leave it in. I yeah. like the ja, 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 actually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if, yeah, if anybody at... Uh, in Bowie's camp or at like Parlophone is listening to this, please make this a standalone release, the 2018 version. Like people will buy it. Yeah. I want the record. Yeah. yeah I want it. We, I don't want to buy that whole box set just for that, but I, I really want that. I want to own it. Um, I guess Spotify will have to do. Uh, yeah. Solid song. Uh, the mar- a marquee track on the album, obviously. I mean, you, you yeah, know, you mentioned it. Is it? Yeah, I, I kind of was thinking, could it be a tumble and twirl one? Because I feel like everything on this is buried enough that it. I could feel like be. when, I when feel the like tour is named yeah, after it, a song, it though, yeah, yeah, it can't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, this all this song has a lot of ambition too. I mean, yeah, I, like Bowie's biggest mark that he left on people. Like the one line you'll hear the most was that he he was an artist that made you feel like you weren't alone and that you can do whatever you wanted yeah. and to not be afraid of ridicule or criticism. And I think this song obviously like it had a it had massive potential for ridicule. And so in in a sense, I think this is like a, an essential kind of a song 
in understanding the essence of David Bowie as an artist. Not only as it pertains to him as a songwriter and his vid, because, you know, it's ambitious and it's kind of like future legend and all that, but I think it also has a strong connection to his relationship with his fans in that way. That's something that I kind of thought when I heard the song, okay. because a lot of it is like been subject to ridicule. You know, it's a very elaborate kind of cringy theatrical idea that he had this glass spider, you know, he winds yeah. up burning the glass spider because at the end of the tour, cause you know, it, it, he was fed up with it. But like I said, I think that's the essence of Bowie though, is just, you got this weird idea. You just, fu- just fucking run with it. And it. Yeah. uh, yeah, I think th- that kind of makes this maybe an essential David Bowie song, at least in the ways that it ties to him as an artist and in the way that his fans have kind of cling to him over the years. Next song is Shining Star, uh, Making My Love. And I just one 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 thing I wanted to add is that it is ironic that David Bowie made you feel like you're not alone, and that maybe this song is kind of, you know, gives credence to that idea. But then this song is also about being on your own one day because your parents won't be there forever. So it's kind of yeah. <laughs> kind of contradictory in that <laughs> right, way. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Shining Star. Um We've talked about juxtapositions in Bowie's music versus lyrical content before this one's right up there it's very playful sounding mm-hmm. uh, you know um but yeah it, so let's see it's yeah what's i wrote it down here so chernobyl's back um mm-hmm. he mentions a crack house and laying dead all within seconds of the first verse like that's okay you're starting that you're right into it <laughs> um but it's a very happy go lucky kind of Everything, everything yeah. about the lyrics in it. Um, yeah, um, prostitution is in it again. Uh, so yeah, it's not. It, it's, it's definitely at least like my first impression was definitely the juxtaposition thing. Um, and you know, this song was it was kind of confusing for me because at first I thought like, is the chorus to this song, it, is that like the drugs talking to the drug addicts as if they're lovers? Because you know, he talks about being addicted. You know, there's a lot of stuff about drug addiction on this song, and then the the during the verses. And then the chorus is, uh, where is it here? I can be your great misfortune. I can make you happy every day of your life. Oh, hang Making on. my love like a shining star. I, I have to interject. I, on the second or third time through, I can make you happy every goddamn single day of your life. <laughs> He's really putting emphasis on that. So, you know, like at first I'm like, is that the drugs talking to the drug addicts as if they're lovers and that's why it's happy? Is it another kind of comical thing i mean i was kind of i couldn't make heads or tails of it um but then i i feel like he was tapping into something else so as i kind of listened to it more and more and it's like think of if you lost everything like you you became a drug addict you lost your job you became homeless whatever but if you had that one person yeah it might make it all okay okay, like your life partner you have someone to yeah like and maybe this is you the need end. a shoulder to cry on. Right. There, there's another Lennon. <laughs> and I, I think about uh, are you watching The Last of Us at all? It's a really big TV no. show right now, based on the video game. I, no, not at um, all. And not you know I typically am not into these uh, these big mainstream TV shows, but I actually I, I got into The Last of Us, and I think it's actually a pretty good show. Um, and one thing that's uh, that's important in the character development in that show is uh, the main character says. Uh, Basically, like, uh, you know, after losing his daughter and losing so much in the world, he's kind of become the survivalist, but he, he always finds something else. Even he's lost so much, but he always finds something else to fight for and something to stay alive for. 
And I think what this song was trying to illustrate was that even in the harshest of circumstances, you can find something to love. And that that will then, in turn, make your life worthwhile. Yeah. Like, anyone who can love can appreciate life to some level. Obviously, there's going to be people that are better off than you, and they appreciate probably life a lot more. But if you can love, you can you have a reason to live. And so even, you know, this song's kind of doing the urban decay thing again. It's talking about these people that are subjected to these horrible circumstances. There's talk, you know, there's references to gangs, there's drug addiction and all this. But at the end of the day, these people find someone that they love and that that's where the beauty in the song comes in. Just for that one moment, this song might be playing in their heads when they're with that person they love. And I thought that, you know, that's a that's just a great sentiment, you know, yeah, for a song. I've always know? liked there's an outtake um early 70s Dylan like Planet Waves era called Nobody Except You where he's kind of talking about that I'm a stranger here no one sees me except you it's more of like a isolating thing but as long as he has that one person everything's okay mm-hmm. I love yeah. that yeah that's that's a great uh, it's, it's a great uh, if you don't because if you don't have that it can be really depressing of course well, yeah. and, that, and that's kind of why I was thinking that this song because yeah, on the surface I thought also that it was a juxtaposition just crazy urban decay in the verses and then this beautiful course and a beautiful, you know, the kind of, we talk about, there's a lot of glitter on the production on this album. I'm like, well, how does that fit this song? But then as I kind of started to think about it, at least more in that way, that juxtaposition wasn't a juxtaposition anymore. It was like, this is them appreciating that moment okay. in their life. Yeah. Um, that, that, at least that was up. my takeaway. Yeah. Mickey Rourke <laughs> asked to be on the album. When people start asking if they should, if, Hey, can I be on your, like, Okay, okay, he said yes, um, and, he, and he raps. Uh, I, I feel like you shouldn't just, like, say, yeah, you could be on my album to Mickey Rourke. I, I don't know. <laughs> Did people know that it was Mickey Rourke? When Is the album he credited? Out? I don't think so. I don't think I saw his well, name. Well, who's looking at the fine print on this album? I mean, I feel like it should have been a big They're deal, right? There's a big actor on the album rapping like was this when when did he disappear because he kind of was blacklisted i i don't know i don't see mickey work on the back oh there's so many because you know this is another song that i think is pretty decent but because of that rap of his it gets a bad rep you know, this song is yeah, kind of it, known for that. It's the song with Mickey Rourke on it doing so a stupid So here's the rap. credit. He, yeah, he's credited. He, mid-song rap on Making My Love, David Bowie and Mickey Rourke. Yeah, because you could hear Bowie doing it too. I don't know. I, I don't really – you can't really understand what the hell he's saying. There's something, something Hitler. Um, I don't know. Uh, it's – Peter <laughs> met Frank, the? formed a dummy run gang, worked heist or hit for Tenji's flat. Blue heads out of shape for the name of Trotsky, Sinfain, Hitler, Cashdown. No hope heroes cover this page with debts in hell and fingers in blood. Poor little bodies all covered in scabs and threw it all away. Another life in the grave, another life in the grave. Uh, leave the rapping to the rappers in 87, maybe. It's so, like, not... if I'm reading this correctly, Peter and Frank, they, they, they create a gang and they go on dummy runs and they charge, <laughs> they charge a fee of... $10,000 to rob banks or kill people. And Hitler is one <laughs> Wait of Wait a minute here. They're going to rob a bank and charge a fee for it? Just take the money. Like, who's going to pay? I'll pay you $10,000 to rob a, a bank. a heist or a hit for 10 G's flat. A heist. And blue heads out of the shape for the... Hitler is one of the people that, they, that pays them $10,000 to do this. Hitler is one of them. <laughs> 
Um, oh, and then, but they got a lot of debt, and their fingers are in blood. Uh, their their bodies are covered in scabs. Maybe they're addicts. Maybe they just have bad health. Uh, and then another life, and then they, then they die. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I don't quite under. I, I it's a very you can't really silly, understand silly. what he's saying. Um, but but what I will say is that. I'm, I'm kind of trying to flip the narrative on this album, right? I'm trying to be like, no, it's actually not that bad. But no, yeah, Mickey Rourke's performance is horrible. But on the, the 2018 version, it's Laurie, Laurie Anderson. Anderson. Yeah, I knew um, you'd like that. Great artist, right? Lou Reed's uh, wife and all that. I'm, I'm a huge fan of hers. I think she was a perfect choice to salvage this section of the song because she has kind of like this incredible, very commanding talking voice like her one of her biggest so- her biggest song oh superman she's kind of like talking on it right bowie covers oh superman in the 90s right, yeah. yeah but mickey rourke he's kind of doing this dreadful like wheeling and dealing flow like he's a dad trying to be cool almost <laughs> yes. but it doesn't even have like comedic value at least to me but laurie anderson like she sings the exact same words but she does it in a thing that kind of uh, demands your attention and it does it in a more serious manner um and I think it just kind of proves how important delivery can be in a song because I, I still think the lyrics and the story of that whole rap section is stupid, but style and performance can go a long way. Like, I think of someone like Patti Smith as someone who... Ca- she catches me as a performer before I ever really care of her lyrics. I think of a song like Birdland. It's like a nine-minute song where she's just ranting and going on some kind of... She's kind of like a, like a punk, but also kind of sounds like she's smart literary wise also and she just kind of has this cool attitude and it just comes out in her delivery and i think laurie anderson's someone who also has a delivery where it doesn't really matter what she's saying she can make anything sound commanding and cool and serious yeah there's and definitely think, people that have that effect and i think she did that mickey for, rourke for not so much yeah, he's he's not one of those people you know the, the the i think what this song suffers from is the production is just so god awful that it's like i don't I, like the, i don't have the energy to think too deeply into it it's just like oh it just it, it doesn't sound good the chorus is fine um it's but, a, i think it's a very good course that was my first yeah it, it's, it kind of has like islandy vibes a bit tonight-ish i was the song tonight specifically yeah. too kind of like that very happy go lucky could have had a marimba or steel drums kind of sappy but yeah. but it's it's also a nice melody too like i think this is a song where He's I don't know he's like, singing like Smokey Robinson. He did I think mention he him specifically. It, yeah, it's yeah I don't know the the chorus is fine. The rest of the song to me is, is shit. Like a shining star. It's great. Yeah, that's that's great. That could be like a top forty chorus. Like that's that's a I think it's a it's a solid chorus. Yeah, undeniably good pop hook. Whatever you think of the other parts. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I, I think, I think, I think yeah twenty percent of the song is great. Which is the chorus, and the rest is, yeah, awful. I maybe like this one a bit more. Like I was saying, I do appreciate kind of the sentiment of the song, just finding love in this world. No matter how harsh your circumstances mm. are, find that thing to live for. Yeah, that's a... That's my... Uh, yeah, that's cool. That's my, my takeaway anyway. All right, next up. We got four more to get through here. New York is in love. New York's in love? How is New it, York's how is it actually? in love. New York's yeah. in love. Um... This one was dropped from the tour about a little bit in. And uh, I don't know. I can kind of see why. I, I'm not a fan of New York's In Love, really. Um, you know what this one does kind of remind me of, though, is the direction that he's going in terms of the sound. Um, and it's really emphasized on the 2018 mix, which 
It doesn't make sense because that was done after the fact. But it, it kind of reminds me of a song, like maybe kind of Tim Machine era, but even looking further ahead, kind of reality sounding, this this song. Um, just the way, I, I, I can't remember, I can't think of exactly what song that it really reminds me of, but it it, it fits into that world in terms of the, the, the sound. So I, I think that's kind of cool about this this song. Kind of grungy almost, a little bit, I don't know. It's heavier. Yeah, I mean, this song pounds. This song rocks. I'm not a fan of the the riff. There, there's this riff. Bing, that, bing, 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 bing. That part? Because I like that part. No, it's... Uh, <laughs> it, no, not that part. It's... Hang on, this part. Um, New York's in love. I'm just going to play it on here. Oh, that's the 2018 one. Oh, do, 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 do. you like that? Do, yeah. do, 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 do. You don't like that? I... Uh, no. <laughs> like, I do like that, yeah. I don't know, it's pretty bing, cheesy. Bing, 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 bing. Well, it's, 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 to me, like, that's what, when it comes to the production of this album, like, they took that out of the 2018 mix, and yeah. <laughs> that You know, th- this album is not perfect. I know you're kind of trying to talk it up a bit, and, like, I thought it was going to be the opposite. I thought I was going to be defending this this album. But I, I feel like I maybe need to bring it down a bit and go, like, wait a minute here. The production on this album, it's got flaws. And, like, th- that's a perfect example. Like, what the fuck is that doing on this song? I don't know. Yeah, it's catchy. I like it. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I will say, though, like... What, the d- drums sound like shit. Yeah, and they like do. you know, like, the, the you drums... can't get... Like, we can't forget all that, too. And the, the, the 2018 thing add like the 2018 re-recording they add uh i think it's reeve gabrell's adds a sirens kind of or like he does it with his guitar but he makes yeah. it sound like sirens yeah. i mean i was listening to it in my car and i thought there were sirens behind <laughs> he, he did a good job but yeah uh he felt i think i read that that suited the song better than frampton's kind of blues guitar and i would agree because think of it sirens this is new york this is an album where he's depicting a lot of, you know, urban decay. I think that the Sirens actually do, they kind of fit David Bowie's yeah. vision. And that's why I keep talking about the 2018 re-recording being something that was done in good faith. I think that kind of only gives more credence to that idea because, you know, you, you would associate those types of sounds with New York. That's maybe tapping into David Bowie's mm-hmm. psyche a little bit more. Yeah, you know, we... So that's I, th- I think we're talking about the 2018 version a lot. It says um, a lot, yeah. I mean, if we were to take everything that we know from the 2018 version and just talk about this album, I feel like we would have a lot less good things to say about it. Like, you know, that's a point for the 2018 version, but now let's take that out. And like, if, you know, if we would have done this podcast in 2017, we wouldn't have, there's a lot of the nice things we have to say about this album wouldn't be there. There'd be less of them for sure. Yeah. But I mean, I still think once again, like I'm, song's got a decent chorus, you know, New York's in With the love. big green eyes. Yeah. And a long yeah. blonde it's, head. Like I think it's, it's fine. It's cool. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's a, you know, I've said this about a few songs on this. It's, it's a fine 80s rock song you know and but I, but is that is that what we is that bowie not really um but, but, Bo, but, but just, bowie's doing it but just think just get rid of the 80s or just fine rock song i mean i don't know i, I think this is a deep i mean i'm not totally well, in love with this i wish song. see that's again but you get rid of the 80s you have the 2018 version it's a lot better but you know and i think it's, it's the an 80s in- is very present on the 
the album version. It's an interesting song topic too, isn't it? Like he's talking about, uh, I mean, I'm sure once again, he says New York specifically, but it's probably a metaphor, not a metaphor, but just they're being used as the example of a big city that's well, overly mic- in love with itself. It's a microcosm of any city that thinks mm-hmm. that. Yeah, like Toronto in Canada is like it's exactly where I was example. going. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, you think you're the center of the country, basically. Um, yeah, although <laughs> Winnipeg has this inferiority complex where we think that everything's an attack towards us. So we definitely see Toronto as this bully big city, I think. But well, you know what? Like their media is like, oh, they're, it's just, but it's, the, it's intolerable. The thing is too, is like, there's also, because they're such a big city and maybe this is the, they, like people talk about TSN here. It's the sports network in the, Canada, the Toronto sports network, but it's like, but that is the, city that probably brings in the most views oh, so you know definitely. it's like there's a reason why they, they have the it gets NBA focused team. on they, yeah yeah but yeah winnipeg like we're like the big running joke with sports fans is that you know like we don't have an airport and stuff like that like we, people have definitely i think picked up on winnipeg's inferiority complex and they make fun of us even yeah. more for it well and the, the funny thing is is like I'm, I'm a huge movie buff and like Winnipeg is mentioned or so many like we have a huge film industry here and like we have so much talent that comes out of here like it's funny because Winnipeg should not have that at all but it does it's funny yeah I don't know anyway we uh, get mentioned in the Simpsons on more than one occasion well Matt Groening has family here that's but yeah you're on the Simpsons for Christ's sake that's awesome like that's, what, what the two greatest Edmonton references can't say that well the, the the big the first reference I think was the they're Landing in an airport, they land in Winnipeg, I guess, and it says there's a big billboard that says Winnipeg. We were born here. What's your excuse? Objectively hilarious. And then what was the other one? Was uh, the they're driving family vacation, yeah. yeah. And the the dad says, "Okay, that's it. Back to Winnipeg." When the kids piss them off yeah. and they turn around, Winnipeg's in love. All right, Winnipeg's not in love. New York and Toronto are. Right, but well, they look down on us. I'm in love with great Winnipeg. Cities. I like Winnipeg. Yeah, well, you know, small cities have a lot of great stuff to offer. Big isn't this inherently a good thing. It can actually be a bad thing. Yeah, we get. I mean, Bruce Springsteen's coming to town. How's that? Bowie came four times. And even just in things like, I mean, we have so many. We have a great restaurant scene, and we have you know, you don't have to be a big city to be a yeah. great. I mean, I've I've grown to appreciate Winnipeg. Yeah, same. And so that's just another point for this song, you know. Fuck all those big city people that are <laughs> pompous, that, that, that look down on us. You know, New York's and Love's another great song. Um, I'm, I'm actually certain. I actually do like this album, I think. I mean, I haven't run into a song that I hate yet, and we're almost at the end. We've got three left. Yeah, 87 and Cry. 87 is in 1987, and this is his uh, anti-Margaret Thatcher song, mm-hmm. anti-conservative government song. It's pretty in your face. Um, okay, I got the lyrics. Yeah, it's just a one dollar secret. The lover's secrets. That's a great opening UK. line. I might. Add. It's just a one dollar secret. secret. Yeah. Any secret can be bought. Yeah. One dollar. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's great. Um, yeah, he's. I mean, he he's very anti-conservative government on this. Someone, uh, what video was it in? Is it uh, the? Um, Beat your, no, not beat your drum. Uh, first one. Uh, day in, day out. Day in, day out. Somebody's pissing on Ronald Reagan's Hollywood and didn't star. Didn't the video get banned for that or something? Oh, did it? Amongst I didn't other know reasons. That. Yeah. yeah, I think that maybe even got edited out of 
other versions yeah. of the video or something like that. But yeah, I definitely read that. Obviously, you know, Reagan wasn't a fan of that. Well, and he left England. He's living in Switzerland. He's, he's, I mean, all, hey, all the Brits left Britain. The Stones are in exile. Bowie's in tax exile. Like, you know, it's, a, <clears throat> Lennon lived in New York. Uh, it's funny how they all left. Not all, but it, it was a recurring theme. Mm-hmm. Leave England. Although all these people did have money, so that's interesting. But it was all tax evasion, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. I think it was for Bowie, too. We haven't really talked about that. The Stones famously were... Well, well there, it, there were tons of managerial issues. Another tale issues all this stuff. time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Bowie, too. You know, he got fucked out of a lot of money, I'm sure, in the 70s, right? He was paying for all that stuff. He didn't realize it. And, yeah. you know, it's a lot of rock stars. They didn't have... At least with the Stones and Bowie, they could go on because they were such big legacy acts by the time they were in the 80s. They can tour and sell out arenas and stuff, but there were so many groups like, you know, like Badfinger and stuff like that that once oh. they fizzled out, there's they had no money and it was St- like... Well, Stan Pauly, I think was the name of the Badfinger. The manager that, the manager. that stole all their money, yeah. yeah one like, of them was like laying carpets or something saying... Driving taxis and stuff. It's yeah. like when you're not David Bowie and the Rolling Stones, you, you can't work yourself back up from... You know, they can exist from ground zero and work their way back up but when in the case of Badfinger and other groups like that that had hits but weren't megastars you can't really do that yeah. so yeah well the Badfinger story is tragic two of them two of them took their lives because of it and yeah. Pete Ham, the singer his mom did after he did too oh god hanging too yeah he ended up with here's a Beatles connection George's Gibson SG he gave to right yeah uh, Pete Ham. The bad finger was when they were still signed the, to the Beatles label. When they were called the Ivy, where they were originally called the Ivies, yeah. right? Yeah. They had a record called Maybe Tomorrow Is the Ivies. Yeah, it's a great song. Did. Great song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, better than '87 and Cry. Maybe Tomorrow. <laughs> this one might be my. If I had to pick one, that I, I maybe I'm getting tired by the end of this album. You know, we're now what 40 minutes in or or something. Uh, you know. This one and, and New York's in love for the longest time, I'd get them mixed up. They were they... kind of both rockers yeah. at the end, and they're both kind of like inoffensive. They're not horrible songs, but they're also not standouts. They're, they're, yeah, they're they're just very blah. I mean, I think this is where I talk about the record maybe being too bloated. It's yeah. not like, oh my god, New York's in love, what an awful song, '87 and Cry. Oh. But it's like, well, maybe though they are like well, unnecessary. I mean, Bowie agreed. He cuts the next one completely. Yeah. Should we get to it? <laughs> Well, I, I, I think there are some interesting talking points in 87 and Cry. First of all, if we want to dwell on the negative, I will say the second verse, I hate. It sounds just like your boomer aunt or uncle complaining <laughs> about how things aren't the way they used to be. Oh, yeah. Um, That's lame. And I suppose Bowie kind of told on himself for being out of, touch, out of touch on uh, Teenage Wildlife on Scary Monsters. Yeah. But he seems to be even more out of touch now. I mean, he was even making negative comments to the press about, like, Jesus and Mary Chain and Marky e. Smith in the fall, like two fucking spectacular acts. Like Bowie's just kind of, he's, he's, he's out of touch in the, in the eighties. Yeah. But I mean like, yeah, what the second verse is where the days were the days were the, no, when the days were the days were the days boys, <laughs> when the blue ties were for the biggie guys, Franny dressing down for the enemy. It's kind of like this, like I said, it's the nostalgic thing that your boomerang uncle talks about. Yeah. Um, but one thing I will say, though, is that at least it is done with the angle of Thatcher being to blame and not the people. Like, Bowie kind of has, like, a we the people approach to this song. Like, 
the chorus is uh, it couldn't be done without us or something or uh, what, what's the chorus to this song? Could be done without dogs. He's called. Could be done. Yeah, like on the people, the dogs. Like yeah. kind of like lambs to the slaughter, almost diamond dogs. Hey, another oh. UK urban decay yeah. song. Back to dogs, but you know, at least he is doing it with Thatcher being the the kind of the person to blame because the one thing that I can't stand is when kids get blamed today for like being on their phones all oh, the time God. is if they are just hopeless victims yeah, of the right. system yeah. you know like they didn't invent these things or create a society in which these cell phones it's became a necessity nur- it's been nurtured into them but they fall on the sword when it comes time to complain oh of course yeah and so the 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 real creators of these problems are never critically examined and they're left off the hook so i can at least appreciate that he's attacking somebody like Thatcher on this song. So once again, maybe this isn't a standout track, but there's still sentiments to the song that I can appreciate. Well, it's once again, his his worst songs are still... Something salvageable on it. I mean, we we managed to talk about it for 10 minutes or five, you know, like that, right? You can't do that for everybody, that's for sure. Not their worst songs. So I think he's got his canon pointed at the right person in this song, at least. Well, and hey, the canon on the front cover. I think that's why I I came up with that. Yeah. I was a little yeah, slow so. to that one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, too dizzy. Um, yeah, that's the Erdnell Kizilkai. I I think I'm saying that right. Um, <laughs> all I wrote down for the things because you've said this a few times. People don't forget. <laughs> you can't erase a song. It's still we're gonna we're well, gonna know. And it's worse to erase it too because then you're really you're showing atten- you're your bringing hand. attention to it. Yeah. So yeah, uh, this song was cut from all later reissues and remasters. Uh, I think in the mid '90s when it was maybe first remastered, I don't know, or reissued. Yeah, he just deleted. It. He said that it was like an exercise to see if they could write together. They wrote it kind of Lennon McCartney, Lennon McCartney e, <laughs> uh, both sitting at a piano. They would do that famously, um, or nose to nose with guitars, and they just kind of thought, "Can we write a song?" And well, they did, and I guess he didn't like it enough to. <laughs> to keep it on this album. Well, you've been saying this album's bloated. He obviously agreed, whether yeah. it's to cut out that three minutes on the cassette side A <laughs> of Dead Space or not, to even it out or, or not, I'm not sure. But, you know, the funny thing is, is I was listening to this song with uh, with Sarah yesterday, my wife, and we were, we both kind of thought, well, you know what, it's not that bad. Well, that's kind of what I was talking about with the last two tracks. Like, they're not offensive, and I don't think this song's offensive either. I, I think this maybe I, I I almost group these three together as like the maybe the the weaker three of on the album, and maybe this one got cut just because it was the third one in a row. I, I don't know why why he picked this one. It's well, okay because this song was also slated to be a single by the label EMI actually. Oh, like press geez, 40 really? there so i think it just wound up being a promo single in the u.s so it wasn't actually chosen as like a lead single but they they wanted this to be a single and if you think about it like it sounds crazy the song that got cut from the record was supposed to be a single but think about it though is this song a horror it's not poppy it's right it's fast-paced it, enough to kind of keep you moving it, it's kind of like a jealousy love song yeah. like uh, i'm a sore loser what can he do or you know like yeah. it's it, it's kind of a competitive nature but like that's a typical hey that's kind of going back to a lot of 60s rock songs like that was that's one of the tropes right yeah well a hundred percent like uh all i really had to talk about for this song was that you you look at the lyrics 
at, at the start, like, uh, there's too much talking for a night drive, too much mist in front of my eyes. Like, at, at the start, it actually kind of has the workings of a Bowie song with these great vivid images and a scene being set. But then it kind of quickly resigns itself to being a man that's just simply adamant not to lose his lover. And yeah. and that is the old 50s or early 60s, whatever, songwriting trope of kind of forcing yourself on a female who's unwilling. Like, yeah. uh, to go back to the Beatles again, they do that on a, I'll get you. Oh, yeah. I'll get you in the end. Yeah, you might as well resign, resign yourself, yourself to, to me. me. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of what this song is. Uh, what, what's the hook to this song? It's uh, too dizzy. You can't have a lover. Too dizzy. It's me and no other. It's kind of like, I don't know. Bo- Bowie's... Uh, kind of he's got more ambition than this he's kind of better than this you know i talked about this song having ambition the last record didn't i don't think this song has a lot of ambition oh, no. i think he's just yeah. he's kind of just doing a copy and paste of a song that's been done a trillion times before and yeah i mean hey it's okay it's bowie doing a rock and roll song you know there's probably some there's some decent melodies in it and whatever but it's just it's not, nothing spectacular you expect any, a, you expect a song manner. to be cut from an album with this reputation to be like oh what's this going to be yeah. you know you and it's yeah. just, it's just a, it's, it, it's it was almost okay. a letdown that it wasn't worse like you know when you when you listen to it with especially with the that. name too too dizzy yeah you think like oh this is going to be so like bad. you're kind <laughs> of expecting it to be more in the done in the style of like uh shake it Right, like yeah. something a little more, re- or or to even go to this record, something more in like the shining star or beat of your maybe beat of your drum would be a better example. Yeah, a song that's a little more ridiculous. Like this song isn't really ridiculous yeah. in any way. It's like if he would have been like trying really hard on a song like Chili Down, <laughs> or like, even just Chili Down would have or, been a you know. Well, you would have maybe understood it more, but then you would have been like. That, get it back in there. <laughs> I've got to have an original pressing because it's not that bad. Um, it's funny because before I gave you that cassette, I should have waited to, I, because I was gonna <laughs> I was gonna just bring it up, like, wondering like if you just listened to the Spotify version yeah. or whatever, would you? I would. And up next is too dizzy, and I was just gonna wait to see what your reaction would have been. I should have waited. Damn it. Um, yeah, had you heard it before owning the album? This song? No. There you, oh damn that would have been perfect oh, yeah. that would have been for great <laughs> or Listen. I mean like okay maybe when I played it when I was 12 years old on iTunes when I downloaded no it, it wouldn't have been on there I think uh, unless you found the like a, maybe, maybe the original yeah. ones but yeah. point being I don't even remember the, the other ones anyway from right. back then I yeah, mean what do you exactly. retain yeah. that's critically important when you're 12 years old I mean nothing really you yeah. know so all right the album concludes with, um, oh, we're going back to an old theme, an old 80s Bowie album theme, an Iggy Pop cover, Bang Bang. <laughs> yeah, you, then you see, like, that's a hilarious name for a song. Too Dizzy and Bang Bang. Way to end this album. Um, but it's a good song. It's a, it's, it's a great song. It's, it's the same chords uh, as funky music and fascination. It's the same three oh, chords yeah. repeating over and over. Um, I, I want to get to this. We haven't talked about the 2018 mix as much or version uh, on this side, I think, as much as we did on the first one. Can I just say that this, the 2018 version of this song is awesome? It has those strings at the beginning, isolated. Yeah, that's Oh, the, is yeah, that that's cool? Right, yeah. I absolutely love that.
But they take away the kind of build-up riff in between the bang-bang and the chorus. And I really like that in the original version. So You'll have to make it composite. we got to make, yep, there you go. Um, yeah, really cool song. Uh, was part of the, the live shows and everything. He said, uh, a lot of people cover Chuck Berry. I cover Iggy Pop. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, because that was, apparently he was kind of getting called out for it by yeah. the press, right? Like, like, hey, you're doing an Iggy cover again. And it's like, oh. You know, not to mythify Bowie and make it like he's this god who could do no wrong, but, I mean, let's face it, you know, people do cut, like, Stone's doing Chuck Berry. Who did he say? He said somebody always Chuck, covers Chuck Berry. Chuck Bear. Everybody covers Chuck Berry. And I do Iggy Pop. I mean, Iggy's kind of, at this point, like, a cooler guy to, because everybody was doing the, the Chuck Berry thing. He was the 50s guy to, to do covers of, and now Bowie's like, oh, there's a passing of the torch. I'm going to make Iggy the guy that I... That's cool. And Iggy's a cool guy. And once again, I mean... I talk about this a lot, or I, I mentioned it at least earlier, or maybe on side A, when we were talking about him bringing Peter Frampton into the mix. Like, he's throwing his buddy a bone, probably, too. Like, I'm David Bowie. Uh, Iggy Pop's one of my biggest influences. I'll cover another one of his songs, put some money in his pocket. I mean, I don't know if that was for sure what his intentions were, but they're probably part of the puzzle, uh, part of the equation. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I think uh, it, it is kind of a cool thing to... To do, like, here's my token Iggy cover. Yeah, yeah. What's I mean, wrong with that? Why not, you know? And it's one of the better, well, maybe the best song on the side. Uh, the best since Glass Spider, I would say, anyway. I'm actually, maybe this is just because uh, I had more exposure to the other ones because they're earlier on the record and you just kind of wind up playing earlier songs in the album more. Um, I didn't personally view this as a standout, but yeah, I also, once again, like, it's not really an offensive song, and I we're at the end now. I haven't really caught an offensive song yet. It's uh, it's definitely a steadier listen than than tonight, uh, like by a mile. Tonight there's a few peaks. There's like maybe one or two, and it, the lows are pretty low. This is just you know, it's a it's a solid album. It really is. Um, I guess. Uh, to, to wrap things up, I, you know, there's a story. Reeves Gabrell said that they were sitting on like deck chairs in in Switzerland one day, looking out at the lake, and this is much later. And he was talking about "Never Let Me Down," and he, he said, you know, I really think I had something good there, um, and it, you know, and he wanted to re-record it like almost right away. And like, don't we all want to redo sometimes? Right, right, right when you say something or do something, you want to just do it again. Like I think about our podcast and, you know, an hour from now when we're done recording this, I'm like, oh, I should have said this. I should have done that. Or I regret saying that a right. week later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, like, we're all allowed that. Like, it, you know, it, it kind of humanizes Bowie. It's like, oh yeah, he, he saw maybe with the sound especially I, th I that's obviously what he's talking about. He's talking about the production, which is the, the that's the the elephant in the room. The, the production on this album is subpar. It, there's there's a lot happening. There's a lot of the great Bowiness. If that's that we should that should be an Oxford dictionary word. Bowiness um, is buried behind all this kind of like unnecessary density. Like when they strip it down in some places on the the redo, you can hear his voice more, and you can hear. The, even sometimes just something as simple as the the basic chord structure just shining through more 
Yeah. Th- there's a lot to these songs that are just glossed over, and, and it's too bad. And I wouldn't like classify the production as like a convenient excuse because on one hand it is, oh, it was a great album, I had great songs, the demos were fantastic. It was the production that held it back. You know, like you can kind of look at that and be like, oh, that's that's very convenient to yeah, say. Of course it is. But yeah. he also had other projects that he wasn't fond of, like his first record, yeah. which we like, but whatever. Regard that's irrelevant to this. He never once made excuses for that. He just kind of went. I mean, he made it like he didn't put effort into it, but he never said like, "Oh, it was somebody they added the strings is why right. I don't like it." And they the drum sound on it. I love the laughing gnome, but it's the snare that sounds that. He never claimed yeah. that on that for other things projects, that he wasn't yeah. fond of. This was actually a record where he would, seems to be very, uh, very fond of his song uh, of the songs that he wrote, and yeah. he genuinely believed that the production did hold it back. So I, I think that that's not you know Bowie lying. I don't think that's Bowie bollocks. I think that's actually Bowie being genuine and the fact that he actually had interest in re-recording this album. Well, and how about just the fact that it's it's true? We, we yeah. I mean, you know, we are clearly bigger fans of this album than than most and um i kind of regret the the i feel like when i we were kind of poking fun at it at the beginning of this of side a <laughs> like that obviously if you've listened this far you realize that we do like this album you know quite a bit um like the songs just are like all of that is true the, the songs yeah. just are really solid and um like there's ambition in them there's, there's yeah. themes in them that are Themes that Bowie would touch on multiple times throughout his career. It's kind of it's a very David Bowie album. It is. It's, it's, you know, he must have been so frustrated. He didn't do a single one of these after the Glass Spider tour. He he wrote a lot of these songs with the stage in mind too. Mm-hmm. We'll we'll touch on that on the next episode uh, in more detail. But a lot of these songs were written uh, and recorded with like these big. I, I think. Um, is it um, day in day out? For example, like th- that's made for the stage. That song with mm-hmm. the ba- with the with the backing vocalists and everything. It, it, Glass Spider, obviously. Too. Right. Yeah, and uh, he performed like a lot of these songs on the tour too, like over half of them. And he never did them again. He was like, once he was once he got through that tour and this, he probably just thought like, oh, maybe what a waste opportunity. Um, and it's you know I, I'm glad that he didn't re-record it right away. Um, Reeves Gabrels talked him out of it and for the better. I could see why he collaborated with him for over a decade um, after this because, yeah, it, or about a decade. Yeah, it, you know, I, I don't know what it would have turned out to be if he would have redone it. It would have been just really weird to be like, I'm just going to do this again now. Like, we don't want to never let me down 1989. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, he was, I, it's just so, like, how many of these actually get that treatment? No, no, it's one of a kind. You know, like it actually happened. Like that's really that's cool. That's why I, I really try to stress how don't think of it as a butchering of the like this is and there's nothing really to compare it to. No. So uh, it, in terms it, of like other things that have been redone in this it, light, yeah, yeah, no. nothing. There's really nothing. It's a very unique set of circumstances. Um, and yeah, and the 2018 mixes uh, is, is, I mean, that's my preferred version. I think there's like I said, there's songs that I prefer the original. But they're few and far between. It was pretty much only like beat of, uh, beat of your drum, maybe a couple others too. And that I kind of like beat of your drum. I don't know. It's it's okay. 
Yeah. I, I, you know, I, okay, the, the Best and Scary Monsters sticker that could go on the album, he joked you could just slap Best and Scary Monsters <laughs> sticker on it. Right now, I would I would do I would say that I, I think I like this more than Let's Dance as a, yeah, as a, as a prob- whole. Probably, yeah. I think Let's Dance uh, has a couple really good songs, and that's about it. This one is just a more solid listen. I mean, I'm gonna put Modern Love on more playlists than any songs on this, maybe, but I don't make many playlists, so so there. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I just really like this. And maybe part of that is trying to prop it up more to really kind of put our stamp on it. Like, hey, never but let me down. Sometimes that needs to be that done. Ne- sometimes because, that needs to be because done. Because history, exactly. like I said, yeah. like history can't just, uh, our opinions on David Bowie just can't self-perpetuate the, the, the yeah themselves the way they have been. And I want to be like, careful not to say it just for the sake of saying it. Like, you know, I, I really do mean, like, what, put it this way. If I'm on, if it's a toss-up, I may as well just say like never let me down because it it speaks way more towards that this mm-hmm. album than it would towards like I think Let's Dance is in a lot of people's top like ten Bowie albums. Um, Definitely more than this one, is. right? Yeah. So, well, you know, uh, if we want to get into the listener, uh, yeah, comments, yeah, let's, let's do that. I, I may as well kick us off one. So yeah. Um, at Bowie Podcast is where you can find us. Uh, we put out a call. We put this one out quite a while ago, um, but you, uh, Johnny, got sick, um, so we had to postpone for a bit. And yeah, did you? I, I I've been off Twitter for a while, so I I haven't seen these. Usually, it's the other way around. This will be interesting. Well, here's one that is kind of just reiterating what we've said, but it's, it comes from uh, David Cheatham, who says, obviously, he's talking about never let me down. He says, I don't mind it. Reminds me of a certain time of my life, the spring and summer of 87. I'd say it lacks the highs and lows of tonight, but was a perfectly listenable album. And That's, yeah, listenable totally. album, I mean, yeah. Absolutely. A, a nod to our uh, one of our favorite podcasts, the Jokerman podcast, to talk about Bob Dylan. Uh, they might call this a put-it-on album. Is this a put-it-on yeah, album? Yeah, definitely. You can yeah. Just put, this perfectly is, this listenable is album. You could, you could put it on, and it's... I think part of what goes into put it on is it's also accessible. Like you know, there's it's a pop album. The, it kind of rocks. It doesn't really have many lulls in terms of uh, slow songs that maybe make people go, oh, "This is boring." Yeah, because even "Never Let Me Down" it still kind of has a bit of a, uh, a bop oh, to it. Oh yeah, it's yeah. got a. It's, a, it's you too know, happy <laughs> to, to get people to be uh, upset at it being on. And maybe the best part about putting this album on is, as the Bowie freaks that we are. When I put on Hunky Dory for and people are around, I'm kind of like, hey, shut up, stop talking, listen to this. As for this one, I'm not going to be inclined to do that as much because it's, you know, it's it's not Hunky Dory. So it's yeah, this this is the answer. I've been thinking about that a lot. This is the put it on Bowie album. But speaking of Hunky Dory, um, is it the remix of Heroes that's very acousticky? Uh, the 2018 version. Wait, Hunky Dory. Speaking of Hunky Dory's heroes. Well, uh, the, the reason that I'm, I'm bringing up Hunky Dory is I thought of Hunky Dory when I was playing this album. I think it's when I was doing the 2018 version because Zero's had a very acoustic, Oh, Zero, yeah. Very, very 60s style vocals. Yeah, yeah And it was. it was more acoustic, and I got a very Hunky Dory vibe off of the 2018 version of Yeah, Zero's, that, that's the one say. where the acoustic is full. Yeah, Especially yeah. because they cut out all that crowd noise in the intro and it's just you hear the acoustic that, that could fit on hunky dory i think that song that version of yeah. it anyway um, oh yeah oh yeah that's true would, that's would the it be the worst song on hunky dory i feel like you would probably say 
song for Bob Dylan's worse or something else. Oh yeah, I would. Even I, though I, I like still like more. that track. I, I like it more than that. I, I damn it, I like zeros more than changes. I do. Yeah, they, I, I really do. Like, I, I, yeah, I mean, I would be like more like I like time will crawl more than changes, but zeros. Okay, I like time yeah. will crawl will crawl more than changes too. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like the twenty eighteen versions of both of those more than the album <laughs> versions of these. But yeah, uh, you know, we should do a. I, you know, what, I think we talked about twenty eighteen enough on this. An actual. Well, yeah. you know what I was thinking is maybe we can reach out to uh, Mr. McNulty. We should try and that. Have him, yeah. and I would love to pick his brain because he's he wants to do too dizzy. I read too. He wants to do too dizzy. Girls and Julie, which are the three non-album ones. That'd be cool. I would just love to talk to him because, like, not a there's not an awful lot out there on the internet about the 2018 version. No, there and isn't. You, like you it said, doesn't have its own Wikipedia you can't, you page. You can't or, buy it in the stores by itself. It it's, has it's to such be a part wasted. Of the box it's, set. it's like it's almost like a wasted effort. Like, like yeah. it's not a wasted effort, well, but if it's not out there to hear as I much. I think that's because the purists tend to just, yeah. by default, hate that sort of thing. But like we said, there's nuance that goes into this particular occasion that makes it make sense. Yeah. Um, anyway, Alec Ramsey, he didn't think this album needed a reworking. Uh, Alec Ramsey, who goes by SJ13 Sarah Jane on Twitter, Alec says, This absolutely is my favorite Bowie album. It's wonderful. I don't understand the hate. Oh, they, right. they didn't really elaborate an awful lot, but I just you have to mention that comment because that's like somebody considers this. I mean, of course, every Bowie album is someone's favorite, but you just really don't hear it that often with this one. So I was kind of happy to see that. I mean, if it was like, if this is your gateway to Bowie, yeah, why not, right? Like, I, you know, sometimes that can be your favorite of something. Like, you know, when you get into something because of your first taste, it's like well, you, you always have a soft spot for it. And the the next comment from at J9Duffy, who is, uh, goes by Janine White Duffy on Twitter. Janine says, I absolutely love this album. I could care less when anyone trashed it. This is when I truly fell in love with Bowie and saw this tour a bunch of times. My stepmom knew Tony Mascaya. Mascaya, and was able to get Bowie collectible stuff. Cool. New York's in Love is my fave track. So, to your point, yeah, this was the, and I think I mentioned it maybe on Side A also, this was a gateway for some people because this was the Bowie's mega stardom decade. So a lot of people were, okay, they Bowie's yeah. on the radar, and then this is the next album, and it wound up actually being a gateway to David Bowie. So when we joked about it being like, this isn't the album you play for your, your friends to get them into Bowie. It of course, was. it's not going to be, but, <laughs> but for, it was. But for yeah. some people, it literally was, and I think. Yeah, yeah, and it, it just suffers from that, like, just the standard that Bowie set in the decade previous. It's like, well, it's not fair. It's just not fair to this album. It shouldn't be judged on that curve in terms of can you put it on and listen to it and enjoy it. You can. Another brief comment that kind of is in the same uh, vein as the, the last one is a uh, Wiglanta says sounded ace to my sixteen year old ears at Wembley uh, at the June nineteenth nineteen eighty seven so once again a sixteen year old who was just listening to David Bowie in the eighties and went this sounds great yeah um, 
Not everybody shares the same enthusiasm, though. We have Bill, who goes by at ST Murren Bill. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his handle, but it's Bill on Twitter who says, Bowie fans since early 1972, seen him many times throughout his career. I can honestly say I've never listened to this all the way through. Awful album. Well, Bill, my question to you is if you've never listened to it all the way through, how could you conclude that it's an awful album? Yeah. I, I mean, mean, honestly, I, I mean, I played it three times and I still didn't get a, a good understanding of it. If you haven't played it once, check it how, out. How could you say it's an awful album? Yeah, play play the album, and maybe play the 2018 version. Yeah, check it out. Um, I mean, the it's to me the the, the side A is better in you know, the same respect that Scary Monsters is. So uh, you, it wouldn't maybe get better, may you know, at first on side B, but <laughs> give side A another listen to start. I don't, yeah. That's I, I I was expecting a lot more like that. Are there more negative comments? I'm sure there are. Uh, we kind of have a few. I'm kind of trying to find them all here. <laughs> um, usually we trade, but since you're not on Twitter, I got to do it all now. Um, Halloween Jack fifty five on Twitter at Halloween Jack fifty five. Uh, Richard says the remix version of Never Let Me Down is actually pretty strong. Anyone who doesn't like the original should listen to the remix. Reeves does an excellent job, so that would kind of just uh, pick off what we were just saying. Like, yeah. If you don't, if you, you if you actually gave the original a try and didn't like it, yeah, obviously play the 2018 mix. But I feel like uh, Peter Frampton might not like the 2018 mix because a lot of his parts were taken and out, and <laughs> Reeves was inserted in. I think his sitar is around on a couple tracks, but that might be the only, one of the only parts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And it says Reeves does an excellent job. I guess once again, important to note that it was, is it Mario McNulty? Yeah. He's the guy who kind of recruited everybody. He got Reeves in the room, and he was kind of more like the the the, the actual curator of everything. But Reeves is the main guitarist. It's him and right. Tom Zorn that do the, yeah. the guitars. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he says Reeves does an excellent job, but it's not like Reeves was the, the, the only person involved in the project. He was probably the most important player. Right. Um, um, well, and Sterling Campbell uh, came into drum. The drum, right? Yeah, because and Ernell that, Kizilkai did that. That actually machines. might be the most important part because they're you know they just really did guitars, there, yeah. but the acoustic drums is a totally yeah. different thing. Yeah. And I think they kept a lot of Bowie's acoustic guitar playing too. Okay, that uh, makes sense. Anything, anything that Bowie did, whether it was vocals, backing vocals, or guitar. Oh yeah, that's that like, would get. We didn't left. even mention that. Yeah, that he, gets left. He in the played mix. instruments on this for the yeah. first time since I guess. Scary Monsters, right? Because mm-hmm. I know he didn't on Let's Dance. I don't think he did on Tonight either. Well, it's kind of like him getting back to back when he was in guitar bands and he was doing rock and roll in the 60s because in 1984, Serious Moonlight, he's the kind of the yeah. pompous rock star up on the stage with the nice hair and the nice suit yeah. with the microphone in his hand. And he, yeah. I think he was trying to erase that. Yeah, at least for the mo- to get in the moment for sure yeah definitely going like i don't really know what i'm doing i don't know who my audience is i don't quite know my direction as an artist let's just go back in time yeah to try to recapture the thing that made me great in the first place is kind of how i interpret what this record is and i think he probably elaborates that even more on the the next album we'll we'll talk about tin machine you know it's more about being rock and roll hard rock guitars uh, he's kind of getting back to basics a bit yeah um, Shadow at Shadowman underscore 71 says, I hate to say it, but it's good points are it's less than 50 minutes long. It only has 10 songs, excluding special editions. It's not the worst album cover ever made. And Bowie's worst is still better than many others best. 
Um, the fact that it's less than 50 minutes, I don't know if I think that's a good part of the record because 50 minutes is still I feel, I feel like this is like a, oh, if it was longer, it would be worse. If it was... If it was an hour and 20 minutes, yeah, it would be a lot worse. <laughs> um, not the worst album cover ever made. Yeah, there's there's worse album covers. But um, it's up there. And yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, Bowie's... I, mean, th- that, I, I get the humor in that tweet, but uh, yeah, I, I, I guess it something's got to be his worst. I don't think it's this. I don't think it, it's this either, but the fact that you know, Bowie's worst is still better than many other it's best. True. I mean, yeah, it's a cliche I, to say, but it's an important it, thing to say because... Because it, it's, it, you know, it might not be true for many other, <laughs> for anyone else that, that made this many albums. And and it's important to note that because when you consider this to be his worst, you'll gloss over it like many people have. Whether yeah. it's his worst or not, whatever, the people have kind of decided this is the worst. And yeah. so it gets glossed over. Why so didn't, I, why why this and not tonight? Is because there was more effort put into it maybe that it feels like it's it's a big, like let's, let okay, so let's say I that this is, don't know. Maybe let's say this is a swing and miss. Was he swinging for the fences with this? And it was a miss as where tonight you're kind of like, well, he wasn't even trying on that. I think it's because '80s production is something that people I love to all hate. Love to hate, yeah. And it's it's not as bad on tonight. I don't think it's that tonight's got Ooh. more of like a moody, atmospheric vibe. It's islands. Uh, it's yeah. kind of reggae, yeah. And so the production isn't as prominent. It's not as bombastic. Like the production's really fucking in your face on on this album, yeah. the original album. Yeah. Well, put it. He wanted to re-record this one. He didn't want to re-record tonight. Mm-hmm. But. He dismissed both. I mean, I, th- I think I've read he, like, basically apologized for tonight. But it was almost like, I'm sorry for, like, doing this while I was asleep. As where this one, he maybe was just asleep while they were overproducing it a little bit. I don't know. Well, it's funny. The, the one song that wasn't maybe totally overproduced is Never Let Me Down. It's because it was done quickly. It was done in a day. It's kind of a sparse one. Yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, they didn't have two weeks to work on it and to add every single you know, treatment you could possibly have. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chiron or Chiron, I, if I'm butchering your names, people, I, I apologize. But um, he goes by at Whip of Alchemy. I know I got that pronunciation at least right on Twitter, at Whip of Alchemy. Um, he says, I love it. It's a 10 out of 10. They'll play it again and again, and then they'll hear it too. Is that a lyric reference that's flying over my head? They'll play it again and again, and then they'll hear it too? Or is that just a general statement that... Uh, I don't know. I don't think... That doesn't ring a bell to but me. But that is a point that I totally agree with, because I was somebody who foolishly glossed over this record, and I played it again and again, and then I heard it too. Maybe maybe I don't think it's 10 out of 10, but I definitely think that it's a great record. You know, I think this, even though it's one of David Bowie's worst, I still think that it's a good record. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah. I can agree with the sentiment of that all the way. Yeah, 10 out of 10. That's that's bold. Um, frequent commenter in front of the show, Eladio, at YayPie on Twitter, says, I'll never forget the first time I heard Day In, Day Out, 1987. Once again, people that you're kind of, you know, that lived in the moment that have fond memories of it. Um, Eladio says, my family and I were headed to Tiger Stadium, Detroit, to purchase tickets to see the Tigers take on the A's. I've always loved that song, and when I hear it, I think back to that day. Um, so yeah, that's somebody cool. somebody who's kind of got a, a memory tied to the record, and I think that's something that uh, that's a big part of this record. People that were alive for it seem to have fonder memories of it than the people who were maybe born after it or put on to Bowie later, and they were like given this album 
or, or, or they, their understanding of this album was this is his worst album. There were some people that were actually there for the moment that maybe were able to make up their own yeah. minds before they kind of fell victim to the consensus. That's cool too, Tiger Stadium. I like the Tigers. We're, we have family in, in Michigan, so we've... I don't think we were listening to Day In, Day Out, but we've driven through Michigan. Um, that's actually funny. The first time I listened to Day In, Day Out in preparation for this episode... I download the box set on Spotify so I don't have to go through and it's just all there, all the outtakes and all the other single versions and stuff like that. It's just, I, I get the box, that loving the alien box set and I'm scrolling through quickly as in my car and I, I hear the, the drums open up and I'm thinking to myself, dancing with the big boys would fit almost on this album just due to the themes. Something's wrong with society and it's, oh, yeah. And it's kind of on, you know, that's... Even sonically, I was thinking, but you well, mentioned okay. it lyrically also. No, yeah. sonically, and I'm I'm listening, and then I hear something's wrong in society, and it ends tonight, and uh, day in, day out starts this. It's the next song, like, they, they bookend oh, each yeah. other. And, like, they have, like, almost identical intros. So I was I was listening to it, and then it actually comes on, and it just was a freaky moment where, oh, I'm actually listening to this song that I think could have been on here. I didn't even notice mm. it. Uh, it's very, very similar. And then the next one, too, is the, the big drums open up, Time Will Crawl, and I, I remember just kind of skipping the first, listening to the first, like, five seconds of each of them going, like, oh, my God, these songs are all the same. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. But, yeah, uh, anyway, that's my, that's my story. Uh, Mbrabs at Mbrabs1 on Twitter, another frequent commenter, says, I enjoyed the videos from this album, especially fun to see little Joe D'Alessandro introducing the dance marathon for Never Let Me Down as straight a love song that he wrote. Yeah, I yeah, I totally agree with that because the, I, like when we were talking about that song, I feel like I didn't make a big enough point of that. The, the, you know, we always say David Bowie didn't really write straight love songs, at least not that often. Did we, didn't we put Never Let Me Down on our Valentine's Day playlist? Probably, I think yeah. we did, yeah. Even um, though it's about Coco Schwab, who wasn't, it, I mean, wasn't really a lover of his. It's just a very straightforward but song. It, it, yeah, I mean, the muse and the outcome isn't necessarily... Totally. And it, it's not mind. very complex. Like you said, just straightforward. Like, I called your name, I screamed in pain, but then he'll also flip the script and, you know, instead of saying, I call her name, he'll say, when all your faith is failing, call my name. You know, it's a very... Uh, well, just, it's a she never let me down, I'll never let you down. It's yeah. Just, yeah, I'll never let you down, you never let me down. Right. It's a 50-50, straight yeah. down the middle, plain love song, beautiful melody. Yeah, it's a very straight love song. And then... uh Karen G added, uh, she, she replied to Mbrabs' message and said, I do love the video for Time Will Crawl with its high school musical level of goofiness. Oh, it's to charming. It, it totally is. Well, it has the dancers from uh, the Glass Up Butter Tour. I, I almost felt like it was a wasted opportunity to do like a very cool Chernobyl kind of set. or something. I feel like that could have been a home run. But I mean, if, if that wasn't going to be the video that was done, then I guess the next best thing would be let's just do this fucking goofy thing well and have, have some fun with it. well and he's got crutches and he's got like a bandage or something and maybe that speaks more to the second verse or is it the third verse i said that in the last one i can't remember what verse it is but the one where he's talking about having the migraine and the pills that he took made his fingers disappear and it's like he's you know he's he's hurting now because of you know that i don't know <laughs> maybe maybe that was kind of topical 
in terms of the song content and being in the video. But yeah, you're right. It could have been, it could have been a totally different video. Elliot Chapman says, as our out of touch follies by middle-aged rockers go, most of side A is great fun. And I'll even take New York's in love with a kind of like a, either a piece or a, what, what's this? Uh, this the Hang spot. loose. That's the, the emoji that he used. But oh, the rock emoji. I think we kind of agreed side A is a lot of fun. And New York's in love seems to be getting a lot of love for the, the B side. New York gets love. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say, I would say my favorite on side B are Glass Spider and Bang Bang. Those would be the two that I like. The bookends on side B. It's the it's the other four are the are the weaker ones. Glass Spider, in especially the 2018 version. Yeah. Oh yeah. Irene at Reeny Six on Twitter, another frequent commenter, says, "I remember when this album came out. I was like the only person who still liked Bowie. <laughs> Fortunately, my loyalty was not misplaced in the long run. Um. Yeah, you definitely." Your fandom paid more dividends later on. Your fandom paid more dividends later on, but this album's still great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, you know, I think we maybe have a few more, but I think we've kind of tackled most of the comments. So, yeah, definitely the most, or, well, there's a few, there's some negative comments on tonight, but... Maybe one more that's worth worth a discussion. Karen G says... uh, it's a mess, and I can never listen all the way through, but it's still fascinating to consider how we got to that point. Maybe lack of strong collaborators, nobody to tell him when his ideas were harebrained, generally not a decade of subtlety or taste, and he was soaking it up. Um, nobody to tell him. Where, did, did he maybe have Yes Men with him? I don't know, because I, I feel like his songs were good, but the production was bad. So I don't think it was necessarily that people, his ideas were bad. It was maybe he was putting them in the wrong hands after the fact. I wonder, yeah. And I wonder if after the success of the serious moonlight tour and let's dance, if you start to become this, a different type of super, like a superstar. I think you're invincible almost. Or people think that you're invincible and that you're not going to say, you heard that if you, you know, reject an idea or if you, do something you know what I mean? like you might not be able to tell him that something's bad and not even necessarily something that he created himself yeah this idea that you can't tell me what to do but maybe the fact that people were then just scared maybe i don't know it's yeah inter- it's an interesting question i mean it's um, not like he wasn't big in the 70s well you know but, i think maybe the best point then is maybe lack of strong collaborators because yeah. if the production's the big issue then i mean something that i always gave bowie credit for his whole career when we were you know doing the 70s and that it was whether it was ken scott whether it was mick ronson whether he was a casting agent yeah carlos alomar who's on the cell <laughs> but yeah you know he, he was the guy that surrounded himself with great people and i always made a point as to how important that was because you can have great ideas but if the people around you are, like don't uh underestimate the importance of somebody who knows who to surround themselves with yeah because if they don't it, it the, the stuff won't be as good and yeah he i guess at this point maybe lost that or took it for granted or maybe it was just a misstep but yes surrounding himself with the right people i always talk about that being important and clearly there was something wrong here so well i feel very vindicated for making that point a lot throughout the series yeah and you think about like the strong collaborators that he'd have there was always like one really strong one whether it's visconti or ronson or eno or 
I mean, I'll you, leave are you trying to say that Mickey Rourke and his method rapping don't fit the? <laughs> yeah, they're not. He's not. They're not up to par. Or he's not up to par. Oh my goodness! Yeah, bringing in Adrian Bilou or bringing in Mickey Rourke—that's why this album isn't as good as. Uh, and even though that is just a tiny part of the record, I think there's. Yeah, it's. There's there's glaring issues, obviously, on the whole the whole original record. Um, yeah, I'm not quite sure even who who all the people are who, that are responsible. You know what? I... I don't even necessarily think it's the people that are responsible. I think it's, uh, you know, the 80s was a big technological advancement period. And they had all this new gear, and it was like nobody fucking knew how to use it. Or at least the old people didn't know how to well, use and it. And they, but they certainly tried to. Because there were people in the 80s that were maybe younger and on the come up that knew how to use this, and they maybe made yeah. it like a good, like who would be a good example? Like, Well, we talked about this before with the 80s, and I, I think it was just... It was an interesting period for all of these artists that came up in the 60s, Bowie included. They were reaching an interesting point in their lives, not just their careers, but that that too, because that's important, but their lives. They're no longer hip with the kids. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know. It, but, you're, but you're using well, the same tools that the kids are using on this record. Right, yeah. And I mean, if you think about it, like, I, I'd rather him do this and, and maybe swing and miss than, you know, he's not doing the rock and daddy thing. Mm-hmm. It's a bit more edgy than that. It's a bit more deep than that. And, like, there's nothing wrong with rock and daddy stuff. Like, the Traveling Wilburys are, like, rock and daddy. You know, it's a bunch of dads mm-hmm. getting together in their jeans and, you know, Budweiser Four t-shirts. Four of them playing guitars together in the room. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And well, and that's, the baby, it's like, that's why the Wilburys are great, because they're not trying synths. Well, exactly, because they're the same era. Did yeah. they not come out in 87, the right. first Wilburys yeah. record? Yeah, that's, that's kind Production's of Production's not a problem there. No. You know... I think that's the problem. It's, it was rock stars from the 60s. Like, Bowie should have just done a 60s thing on this. Because he's trying well, to get back to rock. It's, it's an awkward mix, Yeah, right? because, because you he, want him to be doing like, it. He's I was going saying, back to the it. 60s, but he's using the 80s tools yeah. and really relying on them. You right? want it to so, work more than, yeah. You, you really want it to work, but if it's not going to, well, then you got then listen to 2018 and... There was one song in the first Wilburys album where I thought the production maybe did sound a little too. Oh, glittery. Uh, it's too... it starts with a big. Yeah, it's well, heading it's, for the light. Heading for the light. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's Jeff Lynne doing ELO on on the yeah. Wilburys. They probably said, "Get out of here." I always kind of thought <laughs> that one. Me, I, I still really love that song actually, but I kind of remember thinking that one. Oh, it's, it sounds a lot more 1987 than yeah. Rattled does. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> or Dirty World or something else. Yeah. All right, we're talking about the traveling Wilburys, so I think I think that's it. I think we've summed up what we have to say. We I think so, the yeah. only thing we have left, we have to hand out a tumble and twirl award, don't we? Right. So right. I, I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of these are probably qualifiers. Well, okay, I, I'll, I'll run through the track list and I'll try to eliminate songs that I think don't qualify. I don't think. Yeah. Okay, I, go ahead. So I think the easy ones that we really we have to erase would have to be the the music videos slash single songs. Okay. So day in, day out, time will crawl, never let me down. Even though they're maybe on the grand Bowie scale, they're still not yeah. considered as great as they should be. They're still maybe too popular or they're still, they're the ones that when people talk about this album, if they actually think there's something salvageable on it, they'll be like, well, but you know, but time will crawl is good or, but you know, day in, day out, it's kind of good and never let me down and blah, blah, blah. I also think that glass spiders too, too big. big. Yeah. Um, too too much prominence on the tour. Um, 
yeah, the tour was named after. Some it. people it's, call it's, this album Glass Spider. Exactly. I've heard that. I also think that for the deep album cuts, I feel like I see a lot of praise for Zeros. Okay. I, I want to say that's that's one that just is... I mean, it was actually, I want to say, the lead single to the 28, like the 28. It was the version. only single. Yeah. yeah. Um, not that I would well, yeah, consider we, that too important, we, but I just think... We that, have to pick the, the this version. Like, we have to we have to put ourselves in this in The this 19th, year. yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm thinking, like, Tumble and Twirl, where, what would, something from Side 2 would make sense, I guess. I, I don't think I like... Those ones enough. Me, me too. Like I, I was, I I was gonna say zeros. I I don't know where. Like the thing is though, like zeros gets praised like where. Where where have, I've never seen praise for zeros in my like ever. I I think maybe this is just my bias from reading like the books. Like other songs on this record get torn to shreds by the likes of Nicholas Pegg and Chris O'Leary. Like okay. the shining star and beat of your drum will get ripped to shreds and Cyril's will be considered like, you know, it's actually a decent well, song. I don't want to pick the worst song that we can tolerate either. I want to pick it. Yeah, so know. I'm thinking Zero's actually might be a decent pick. I think it's... The thing is, is like, well, if, if I'm going to make my case for Zero's, is I think it's like a, like a very, very good song. I... I better than changes <laughs> so I mean I don't know that's maybe planting my flag a bit on it I mean should, are we unfairly eliminating a song like day in day out like or yeah because you know the tumble and twirl award is it, zeros makes more sense than day in day it isn't it, we're not say. trying to pick the best we're trying to pick yeah so is it zeros I would say so I, I kind of Part of me doesn't want to pick it, but then I also, I think it stands out more than any of the other ones do. Yeah. You know, like, you, like I can't make a, a case for just that. New York's in Love 87 and Cry or Too Dizzy or Bang Bang. I the, just think, the refrain in that song I, I is think, so good. Like, to me, the last four songs in this record are just, like, decent tracks. Um, nothing spectacular about them, nothing offensive about them. They're just decent tracks. Maybe I prefer a couple to the other, but they, they don't separate themselves that much. Yeah. Shining Star, mm. eh, you know, the Mickey Rourke no. thing and all that. I mean, as much as I want to defend that song for its nice hook and the... the That's all you're defending is the I do hook. love the sentiment. I, I, I kind of like Shining Star, too. But here's the thing. I have my points that I really like about Shining Star. I appreciate the sentiment of the song. I appreciate, you know, the idea of finding, uh, finding something to live for, essentially. Uh, but I think that we both like I think we kind of need to both agree and I think Zeros is something where we're both kind of seeing a little more eye to eye on so Zeros needs a bit more propping up and that's the that's the spirit of the award because it doesn't matter where you're being propped up from I mean we <laughs> there's better songs than Zeros that probably got a Tumble and Twirl award you know like more like definitely more praised that's for sure let's I mean, go with Zeros alright okay Zeros, zeros is the is. The first live Tumble and Twirl Award winner. We did everything else mm-hmm. in retrospect. All right. Although we did do those live also, but Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. on the album. Yeah. yeah. Okay, we're going to do uh, a Glass Spider tour episode next time. We're going to have to get Justin on for that. Uh, he, he could offer some first-hand experience. He, he ran up we... front row, I believe. So that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, That'll be next time. Neither of us were alive for that, so no. we won't have much to offer in the, the first-hand <laughs> department, unfortunately. That's going to be a fun one. I love watching that video. Like the, It's on YouTube. 
it's a great uh, performance that they captured. I don't know where that one in particular is. The live album versions in Montreal is cool. Canadian show. All right, that's it for Never Let Me Down, Side B. Hope you've made it this far. If you have, thank you for listening. I'm Jesse. I'm John. Catch you next time. <laughs>